Our reading today is going to be Mark 1, 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, brothers of Simon, and casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee with the, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Is it possible to live your entire life thinking that you are a Christian, thinking that you have a right relationship with God, thinking that you are on your way to heaven and be completely wrong? According to surveys and polls, and I looked up a number of recent ones, just as, as recent as last year, 2022, about 63% of Americans self-identify as Christian. So to be more specific, is it possible that some of those 63%, perhaps many, perhaps millions, are not actually Christian? I'm not asking you to think of someone that you know that says they're a Christian and you're judgmental in your heart and you're like, yeah, that, he's talking about that person. I'm not talking about that. But I am thinking of the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, part of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, and he's talking about the day of final judgment, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's a really shocking thing to find in our Bible, let alone to come out of the mouth of Jesus, like the most compassionate person who ever lived to say, I recognize there are a lot of people who literally profess to know me as Lord. They literally have done many and powerful deeds in my name. They think that they're saved and they're not. So we come to a very important question, a question for this series. What does it mean to be a Christian? And if you were to take just two or three sentences, which I encourage you to do, and say, what is my, you know, my quick elevator speech? If someone asked me, like, what, what is the irreducible core of like, what it means to be a Christian? This is my answer. And how could anyone know, like truly know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm a Christian, before essentially it's too late? Is anybody old enough besides me to like know like what a Garmin is? <laughs> you know, everybody uses this now. But you use different mapping apps probably now in your phone and don't have a separate device necessarily in your car, although your car may have this built in as well. And have, have any of you ever had this experience where you, you input an address or you input a destination, like you're going to place a business maybe, and you follow all these turn-by-turn -turn directions, maybe even for hours, and you arrive at your destination only to find out 
this is not where I was trying to go. Okay, anybody else? I love on some of these mapping apps, there's this feature where you can hit a word overview. And I use this often if I'm going to somewhere I've never been before, where I'm like, is this taking me generally in the right direction? So that I, I, I don't know exactly where this is, and I wouldn't recognize it until I pull up, but at least I know I'm headed in the right direction. Well, that's kind of what I want to start with this morning, just with this big overview. So you're like, where, where are we going with this series of sermons? And then kind of like a curriculum and some online teaching tools and practices and all these things. Where are we going? Um, that's what I want to do this morning. Well, first of all, we're talking and we're going to be talking about following Jesus. And that's the title of this whole series is just simply following Jesus. I know it's really, really super clever, but following Jesus. And I'm doing this. First, I want to tell you why we're doing this. And three things I wrote down. Number one, we want every single person in our care to know where you stand with God. Because if you're a Christian, we don't want you struggling with doubt and anxiety and constantly rehearsing this prayer or something over and over and going through practices because you have a fear rather than just a settled peace in your soul. Like, it is well with my soul. I'm good with God. And by the same token, if you're not yet a Christian, we want that to be clear to you. Secondly, if you identify as a Christian, and that's most of you, we want you to know what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus. See, the Christian life has often been described as a journey. Many of you have heard that. Their church is named the journey because it's this path, and Paul calls it this walk of faith. But where is that journey headed? And some of you may even feel like my journey to follow Jesus feels like this meandering, kind of purposeless, aimless, like I, I don't know where I'm going. And we want you to see that there is a very purposeful walk, a very intentional walk toward very clear goals. And I want you to know what those goals are so you know can know where I'm at on this path of following Jesus together with other people. And the third reason we're talking about it is because this is what Jesus called the church to be about. In fact, this is the central component of our mission, which is received directly from Jesus in places like Matthew 28. From the book, What is the Mission of the Church? by DeYoung and Gilbert, I share this. They say, mission is not everything we do in Jesus' name, nor everything we do in obedience to Christ. Mission is the task we are given to fulfill. It's what Jesus sends us into the world to do. And as we step aside with the elders and some other leadership and do these retreats and just think about what, is, what does Jesus want this church to be about? And if we can only do one thing well, what is that one thing that we're going to put our energy and our prayer and our blood and sweat and tears into doing and I would say it's this, if we can only be known for one thing, it is this, to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what he sent us into the world to do. And that's why we're talking about it. So let me pause and again, we're overviewing, but let me define some terms because in the span of just a few minutes of introduction, I just used three different terms, virtually interchangeably, you may have noticed what these are. The terms are being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, and being a disciple of Jesus. Let's start with the word Christian. This is the popular one. It's like, are you a Christian? When you get that poll from Rasmussen and these other sources, it's like, how do you identify? What's your faith? Hindu, Buddhist, uh, nun, Christian. There's that word. 
and I don't think we're getting rid of that word. Nobody's trying to get rid of that word. I think what I want you to acknowledge is that word means very different things to different people. And I think it can introduce a lot of confusion. It certainly comes with a lot of baggage, okay? By the way, did you know Jesus never referred to his followers as Christians? That's interesting. Um, the word Christian, it's actually first used in Acts chapter 11, verse 36. And up to this point in time, the church, which started in Jerusalem with the, like the Jesus movement and his first 12 disciples, and then you know, hundreds more and then thousands more, they're experiencing increasing persecution. So the Roman government doesn't want a rival faction to like their leadership, their control. It's like, no, Caesar's king. This Jesus figure is not king. And the, the religious group, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, are also persecuting Christians because they're like, Jesus is not the Messiah because we crucified him. And it doesn't matter that you think he raised from the dead, like he's not the Messiah. So there's this persecution. People are being scattered across the known world, and they're moving into more, what I would say today, multicultural cities where a lot of different people believe a lot of different things about God or the gods and goddesses and, you know, like the pantheon of the, the Romans and the Greeks and all that. So one of these cities is a place known as Antioch, which was a major cultural and trade hub of the ancient world. And we read this in Acts 11.36. It is in this community that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. So outsiders are looking at this new band of people coming together and doing life a particular way. And the only way they could think to describe these other people is they are Christians. And in different languages like that I-A-N-S, which was not original, but it is a suffix that basically says a follower of or one devoted to. And they're saying, look at their lives. They're people that belong to Christ. They're people who are committed to Christ. And I, I wish that's what people still meant when they used the word Christian in progressive Western culture. They're like, oh, look at those people's lives. Those are people who clearly follow Jesus the Christ. But I think we can acknowledge the term Christian in our culture has very negative associations. The second word I use is the word disciple. Now, this one's different because outside of a church context, this is a word that our culture really does not use. Nobody says disciple or discipleship anymore. But in Jesus' day, it was used widely, and the word simply meant a follower. All of the famous Jewish rabbis, which is a word for teacher, had disciples. All of the Greek philosophers that you know their names, like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, they had disciples. And the idea is simply they had a group of people who identified with them, who associated with their teaching, who sat under their teaching, learned what they taught, mimicked their lives, and then went out and told other people, you should live like Aristotle or you should live like Jesus. That's the basic idea of a disciple. And, and by the way, the original 12 disciples minus Judas illustrate that meaning very well. It's 12 guys who traipsed all over for three years with Jesus, sat under his teaching, heard what he did, went out and practiced it, came back, reported on it. He corrected some stuff, sent him out again. And basically then they, they launched the idea of church after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. So that's disciple. I'm kind of landing on the word follower and following, because I think it's the most clear and obvious. If you're following Jesus, it simply means I'm following him. 
I'm following his teachings. I'm following his priorities. I'm following his heart. I'm following his character. I'm following his mission. Now, with that background, I said following Jesus is the journey of a lifetime. Where does that journey begin? Every journey starts with a first step. You're you're not on a trip until you take the first step. To put it differently, you can't be a follower of Jesus unless you first become a follower of Jesus. You can't be what you haven't first become. So to put it differently, how do you become a follower of Jesus? And that's, that's what I want to talk about this morning. And this may be very clear and very obvious, but in, in teaching that's going to live on forever on the internet, we want to make sure that anybody who watches this or listens to this or takes a curriculum later on understands, wait, am I on the journey in the first place? And if we take Jesus' words seriously, there are many, many people who think they're on the journey with him who actually aren't. So let's try to make sure in humility, in grace, let's get this right. And I'm, I've taken you to the Gospel of Mark this morning. Because the Gospel of Mark is the oldest Christian gospel. So of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was written many years before and many years closer to the events that they tell the story about. Mark is also the simplest of the four gospels. It, it just uses language like, and immediately it goes to, and immediately here, and immediately there. And he just, he's very succinct in the way that he tells stories. And what I want to point out to you, since this is the oldest gospel, what we read this morning are the first recorded words of Jesus. When he is living on mission, the very first thing that anyone records that he said as a rabbi, as a teacher, are these words that we read this morning. And we're going to see three things in these words. A central message, a commanded response, and then a compelling illustration. And this particular sermon title, I'm calling The Portal to Following Jesus. A portal is like a gateway. It's an entry point. The idea is whether you are black or white or rich or poor or man or woman or Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. We all come to Jesus through the same portal or we all come to God through the same gateway. There's only one way in and and then here it is. So beginning with point one, a central message. Verses 14 and 15 again. Now after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, now hear these first words, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now notice, Jesus' essential message was called the gospel of God. And as basic as that is, I want, you to, I want you to hear this. When Jesus comes, he doesn't come immediately proclaiming a new law, saying, don't do all these things, do all these things, follow these rules, follow these regulations, follow these patterns. You don't have enough rules in the Bible, so I'm going to give you a bunch more. Nor did he come simply proclaiming advice, like, hey, here's some really helpful tips. And if you follow it, you know, it, it's going to help you, but you can kind of take or leave a tip or advice. The Bible says he comes proclaiming gospel, which is literally the word for good news. And the good news, like this kernel of the good news is right here. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of God is present. Now to us, we're like, the kingdom of God is present. That's like, that's, that doesn't sound like the message of Christianity 
But what we got to understand is that the first Jewish culture that Jesus is speaking those words to, this is kind of shorthand for a comprehensive salvation. Like this Old Testament God, Yahweh, that we have believed in, who has been separated from his people by their sin and their brokenness and messiness of this world, that God has come near. The king has come. His kingdom is present on earth because the king is present. And then Jesus goes on to talk to us about, I'm the king. I'm here And I have not come to kill and destroy and tear down. I have come to build up and to give life. How? By doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so here's here's kind of the core gospel, the core good news. If you don't know this, basically Jesus came, God came to do for humanity what we can't do for ourselves. He lived the sinless life that we should have lived. He died a sacrificial death that we deserve to die. And then he rose again to give us the presence and the power of his spirit to do what he called us to do. And that's the good news. He's just like, it's not about your performance for God. It's about God's performance for you. To say it differently, it's not about what we do, 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 do. It's about what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. Now, what are you supposed to do with good news? If the essential Christian message is good news, you don't, you don't practice good news. You don't work on good news. What do you do with good news? Someone brings you good news. You're like, that's exciting. Yay. You, you, you receive it, you believe it, and you act as if it's actually true. That's what you do with good news. So notice this in point two, a commanded response then. This is not just like, where do we get this idea that we're supposed to do certain things? We get it from Jesus in the very next verse. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe in the gospel. And I think modern Western Christianity misreads that and hears, uh, say you're sorry and believe in God. And I think there are millions of people running around that once upon a time, they, they said they were sorry and they believed in God. Or, or we hear this phrase, like invite Jesus into your heart. If you understand what happens in salvation, It's not the worst phrase in the world, but it's also not the way the Bible itself talks about becoming a Christian or becoming a follower of God. Okay, this is the gateway to beginning this new life with God, so this is important. But notice the Bible says, even the demons believe and tremble. So it's not just, oh, sorry, I believe there's a God. The demons believe there's a God. They've seen him in ways. They've interacted with him in ways that you and I as flesh and blood have not seen him and interacted with him. But there's, very, there, there's two very important words or concepts here. And I mean life or death important. If Jesus says, here's the good news, here's salvation, all you do is repent and believe, then I think it's worth understanding what did he mean by repent and what did he mean by believe? And again, this is like Christianity 101 for a bunch of you. And I'm not sorry about that because now you, hopefully you can take these words and go and share this good news with other people and kind of have a little way of doing this, okay? The word repent does not mean to say sorry about something. It really doesn't even mean to confess something, though confession is involved in repentance. The word repent literally means change your way of thinking. Change your attitude toward Okay? So when Jesus says repent, he knows he's coming to people that have all of these thoughts, all these attitudes toward him personally and toward what the Old Testament said about salvation. And he's like, repent is 
turn around. And we, we sang that this morning. And thank you, Paul, for picking that. I bow down. I turn around. We sung those words. We turn around. It's not merely, I mentally know that I'm not a good person. I've done some wrong things. It is change your way of thinking. And then believe is not just a mental construct like uh, I, I believe in God. The word believe is actually the word for, we would say, trust, of like place your reliance upon, not just know something about. And one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible is this man that we're introduced to as Saul of Tarsus, where when we're introduced to him in the book of Acts, he is, he is cursing and just spewing vile threats against Jesus' followers because he's a Pharisee, he's a religious leader of the Jews, and he's like, these people are heretics, and they all need to be rounded up and arrested and executed for believing what they believe about Jesus. And he's literally on the path of rounding up more Christians, putting them in chains, and making sure that they're handed over to the high priest to be, in many cases, executed. Okay? Well, then one day, the resurrected Jesus went to see Saul. Jesus interrupts his plans to do more arrests and more persecution. And by blinding his physical eyes, it's like his heart can see for the first time. And he's like, well, shoot. I've been telling everybody you're dead, and here you are talking to me, so I've got it all wrong. You are Lord. Who are you? Jesus. What do you want from my life? And if you don't know the story, this Saul of Tarsus turns, and the way we generally know him today is as the Apostle Paul, who wrote probably two-thirds of the Christian New Testament and became a missionary where he's like, I'm not just changing the way I, I think or saying like, oops, sorry, Jesus, but he, he completely changed his attitude toward Jesus. He completely changed his way of thinking about all theology and all of life. And he devoted his life, like, I'm going to follow you on the way of the cross and the way of the resurrection, and I'm going to know you, Jesus, and I'm going to trust you, Jesus, and I'm going to tell everyone I possibly can about you, Jesus, because that's what it means to trust someone. So you've got this gospel, you've got this response of repenting and believing. Now, kind of thirdly here, we get this compelling illustration right away. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Okay. How is this illustrating the portal into following Jesus? Well, I think the first thing you notice that's obvious is that the words repentance and faith are not used here. You're like, well, you just said that's the proper response. I don't see that here. What we see instead are actions that demonstrate what it means to repent and believe. Okay? I would much rather be having a conversation with someone that I wasn't there in the room when they like, prayed the sinner's prayer and said, Lord, I repent and I believe. But I see in their life the fruit and the overflow of like right now, they think differently about Jesus and they're trusting him and they're following him. They're doing life with him. But I, but I wasn't there versus I've been there with people that were just like, 
okay, I'm at camp. That message scared me about hell. And so God saved me. I don't want to go there. And then like later in life, walk away. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like anyone can pray a prayer and say, I really, really, really mean this. But there's an immediate life. There's an immediate response. There are immediate actions that demonstrate what repentance and faith look like. I think it's also important to note Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John have already heard the gospel probably many, many times. Jesus hung around around this sea, and he preached all the time. He talked to crowds of people all the time, and his basic message was always the same. So they're, they're fishing, and they're coming and going throughout the day, and this is Capernaum, and, and they, just, they just hear Jesus say this repentance and belief stuff all the time. What's new here? is that Jesus singles them out and says, you already know the gospel. You already know my call to repent and believe. I'm talking to you. Leave your stuff and come follow me now. And he's using the language of discipleship. Follow me. Follow my teachings. Follow my way of living. And by the way, we may talk about this in an upcoming week when we try to understand the biblical apprenticeship model. But in those days, students would go to a rabbi and say, I want to apprentice under you. I respect your teaching. I align with your teaching. Can I do that? And they would say, well, sure, you know, pay me the money and all that, and you can learn from my school of thought. The teachers did not go to pupils and say, I pick you. Least of all, did a teacher go to a blue-collar worker a fisherman, which was not a disgraceful possession, but it's, it's like your, your plumber, your electrician. It's like, we got to eat. The food's got to come from somewhere. Somebody's got to do the dirty work. And Jesus goes to nobody. I mean, they're, they're not in religious school. They're not in seminary. They don't have a proven track record of being even like really good people. He just goes to them and says, follow me right now. So G- these fishermen have already heard Jesus say, the kingdom of God is here because I'm here. They've already heard him say things like, I'm the forever king and I'm worthy of your worship. Now, now follow me. Surrender everything to me. And when he comes to them personally and just looks them in the eyes and says like, I mean you today, now, come. Could be like that tug on your heart that some of you may even be feeling. This is not just a generic message to the world. This is God coming to you at a point in time and saying, I'm talking about you. Sinclair Ferguson said, this message demands a response. If the kingdom of God has come near and the king himself is already present, life must change. The old lifestyle of indifference to God and his will must be abandoned. Loyalty to the king must be the order of the day. And remember, we're talking about the portal or the the gateway into this new life of following God. And how does it begin? According to the Bible, it doesn't begin by our performance of good works or going to church or reading our Bible or doing good things, helping someone across the street, feeding the poor, etc. It doesn't begin there. We are not saved by our good works. The Bible is explicit about that. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus saves. I mean, it's on, the, it's on the building across the street, right? But, but now you know what that means. Grace alone, through faith alone, in that Jesus Christ alone. But here's the key. That genuine repentance and faith always bear 
fruit in following Jesus. Always. And again, that's a way you can look at your own life. Like, how, how would I know today if I'm a follower of Jesus? Did I mean it enough when I repented? Did, do, I, do I believe enough? And Jesus is like, well, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, which is this tiny little, it's like the size of the, the period at the end of your sentence. He's like, if you had faith like that, you can move mountains. We're not worried about the quantity of your faith. We're worried about the object of your faith. Do you believe in Jesus? And a way to know is like, well, I'm looking at my life right now, and I see a desire for this fruit that bears in keeping with repentance and trust. Let me just illustrate this. Um, You've all been to weddings. We had one a couple weeks ago here. It was a lot of fun. And something common, at least to the weddings I've been to in various different cultures, is that this, this man and this woman are standing there at this altar and there's an officiant. I get the, you know, you can be jealous of me because I get the best seat in the house. I'm like right here in front of this couple and I get to see all the reactions and I get to see like, is his, is his lip trembling just a little bit? And he's like trying to hold it together and there's a little bit of a tear, but it's kind of like, oh, no, I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But she's beautiful. And um, so all this is going on and they stand there and they make vows to each other of like forsaking all others and keeping myself only to you for this, this unconditional covenant of relationship together, marriage together. And would it be weird if you go through all of that and then there's this reception and there's dancing and, and then the guy doesn't leave with her and he doesn't go on the honeymoon with her and, and they don't move in together and start building a life together. You would be like, what? what I mean, I heard the vows, but are you like, man, I, I believe his sincerity. You'd be like, no, you, you are not acting in a way that keeps in line with or that makes any sense of the commitment that you just made. See, love that is really love acts lovingly and will continue to act lovingly. And in a similar way, repentance that is genuinely repentant continues to repent. And faith that trusts God continues to trust him when he calls and says, come and follow. And so here's this very important pattern you see in the first story, the very first words of Jesus, not chronologically because he spoke at the temple when he was age 12, but I mean, the first words of Jesus ever recorded for posterity are these words right here, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now here immediately is an illustration of four guys that did that. And if you know their lives, you know what bumbling fools they were, how many times they made mistakes, they fell down, they forgot. But they're, they're, they're trying to follow Jesus, and they show us this pattern. You hear, you have to hear the good news. They trust, they obey, and they follow. And, and I don't want to get cute somewhere in there. If you've heard the term lordship salvation of like, if, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And the idea of like, if you're not giving him everything and saying, you can be Lord of that too. I'm not holding something back. I'm not preaching to you lordship salvation. All I'm saying is this simple thing where I come to Christ and um, this has often been attributed to Augustine and Jonathan Edwards and others. And one thing we know is like none of them actually said this, but someone said it. The only thing you contributed to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Jesus did it. Now, Having been transformed by the grace of Jesus, immediately four men are like, that's my life. That's my vocation. That's my way of providing for my family. That's my dad. Maybe wives. This guy's calling me to follow him in discipleship, and I'm immediately going because he's worthy. 
So here's your one big idea for this morning. Following Jesus begins by responding to the gospel, the good news, with repentance and faith, and by taking the first steps that his grace calls you into. There's no category of person in the Bible that is a Christian who is not following Jesus. And I know, like, we could study, like, what about backsliding, if you've heard that term? It's it's a weird term that Christians use that no one else uses to mean, like, basically, I believe certain things, but I turn my back, and I slid away, and I'm doing other things, and and, and there's conviction that pulls me back, because I'm actually, I actually trust God, but I fell down, and he brought me back up, and I fell down again, and he brought me back up. There, There just isn't a category of Lots and lots of people that maybe even you know, they're like, I'm a Christian. Well, are you part of his family? No. Do you want to get baptized? No. Do you you believe the Bible? Well, the parts of it that I agree with, I believe. There's just no category for a person like that. By the way, this isn't just what Jesus taught. It's what the apostles taught. So the first apostles minus Jesus story is found in where? Acts chapter 2. And if you turn to Acts chapter 2, what you're going to see, and I don't have time to walk you through this, but just like... Trust me, but don't trust me. Go back and look at it this afternoon. Acts chapter 2. The apostle Peter, who is one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, after Jesus has ascended back to heaven, he is going into hostile territory, like ground zero, at the Feast of Pentecost, and he is preaching to thousands and thousands of people, and he's telling them the good news about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And you know what happens by the Spirit's power and presence, thousands of people fall under conviction, like, oh no, we just killed our Messiah. And he's not like, well, that's okay. And they're like, what do we do? And he says, verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Good news, essential message, commanded response, repent and believe the promises of God. Do you have these two slides? What I'm excited about is that in a month, you all are going to keep coming and bringing all your friends, and you're going to look at this chart that that we invented, and you're going to be like, I know exactly what that means. And I could sit with a friend that also wants to follow Jesus but has never been given a pattern of how to do that. And I could explain it to them and I could do that life with them. Okay, so lest you be distracted, let's go to the second slide because you'll see the, the portal was on the far left. This is, how, how does that whole thing start? And Jesus says it starts, you, you repent and you believe in Jesus. The apostles here are now, it's not even adding, you, like you added baptism. Well, all he's saying is that there is a visible outward sign of this covenant with God where you're saying, I am associating with, and what is baptism? It's an association with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And you're saying, I'm publicly declaring my allegiance to Jesus. I'm following that king who said, my kingdom has drawn near. And that's what you're doing with baptism. Instead of keeping it, like, I prayed this prayer, and I repented of my sins, and I have faith in Jesus, and I just don't want anyone to know about it. Well, no, it's, it's I mean, everyone's going to know if you start following Jesus. Because it looks a certain way. Okay, so that's, that's this entry, but then immediately 
So Peter preaches the gospel. He says, repent and believe the promises of God. Then Acts 2.42, everyone immediately embraced a new way of thinking. It says, and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. So let me just give you a concluding word. Other places in Scripture say that you are saved again by grace through faith in Jesus. But James, one of these writers who was a follower of Jesus, an early disciple, reminds us that faith without works is dead. And what he's saying is it's not that the works, the good deeds, the practices as we say them up here, that's not what saves you. But he's saying if you have a kind of faith, a quality of faith that does not produce those practices, you have to ask yourself, did I really trust God in the first place? Because he says that kind of faith that doesn't lead to a changed life doesn't save you. So going back to where I started this morning, remember all those people that said, Lord, Lord, do you hear me? I'm even calling you Lord. You're not only my Savior, you're my Lord. You're my master. I did good works in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I, did, I sacrificed in your name. And what did Jesus say they lacked? You didn't do the will of the Father in heaven. In other words, you, you may have prayed a prayer and you did good things and you relied on your performance, but you didn't do the will of the Father in heaven. Let's be clear. They believed there was a God. They had prayed a prayer. They did some good things. They participated in cultural expressions of faith, but they didn't follow Jesus. That's why this is so important that we get this right. I was watching an interview this week so I'm like working out, watching this interview on ESPN with one of the veterans of the Philadelphia Eagles who were like runners up in the Super Bowl last year. And he was talking about how, you know, when new draft picks or what are undrafted free agents are brought onto the team, he's like, it's up to people like me as a veteran to say, this is the culture. And he's like, people even come over from other teams and they're like, wow, like the culture here is really healthy. Like what, what we do because you guys that everyone looks up to because you've been here forever, like you are setting a culture of winning and character and excellence. My point in that is like we're right now, you know, a year and a half into this church plant since last end of January and just saying we want it to be very clear what kind of culture we are embracing and just say without any shame or apology we're Jesus followers. And we've, we've fall down. We sin. We make mistakes. You're leaders included. But man, we are passionate about following Jesus and receiving his grace and extending his grace. And I want everyone in this room and everyone that's watching online and everyone who later just happens to come across this to know, do I have that assurance? Because you can this morning. Let me ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. I have a couple of evaluation questions for you that I'm not asking you to think about someone else, your kids, a friend, a roommate. These are for you just in the stillness of this moment to find joy. Do I believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior? 
do I believe that he accomplished my salvation through his life and death and resurrection? And just in your own heart, you can say, yes, as, as best I know, I, that's what I believe. Or no, no, not yet. Secondly, have I repented of my sins and do I continue to repent? When I see that something in my life is out of step with the word of God or the character of God, do I confess that? And allow God to reorder and reshape my thinking. That's what repentance means. And again, you can answer for yourself, yes or no. I I have repented and I continue to repent. Or no, I don't. Thirdly, have I trusted in Jesus, surrendering both self-reliance and reliance upon counterfeit gods that promise to save me in other ways? Right now, am I building my life on the foundation of that trust in Jesus? And finally, do I see evidence in my life that I actually want to follow Jesus as a learner, as an apprentice? Through many imperfections and failures, do I desire to know him more, trust him more, love him more, enjoy him more? Do I want to imitate his life, knowing full well I can't do it without his presence and power at work in me?